The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. He makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside still waters. He restores my soul. He leads me in the paths of righteousness for his name's sake. Yea, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil, for you are with me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. You prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. You anoint my head with oil, my cup runs over. Surely goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life and I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. There are uh, a few passages of Scripture that are a little bit intimidating to speak on, and it's not because they're so deep or difficult or culturally unrelatable. It's exactly the opposite of that. It's that they are so well-known, so often taught, so clear that it can seem like there's just nothing left to say about them. Uh, the Beatitudes can be like that, John 3.16, I think 1 Corinthians 13, but included in that list would be Psalm 23. I mean, realistically, there, there are people that don't read the Bible that don't want anything to do with God and that have never stepped foot inside a church that know at least the first verse or two of Psalm 23. I remember when I was a kid, probably, uh, I don't know, six or seven years old, and I first heard this, and I don't remember where, I don't remember if it was in Sunday school or, uh, you know, at our home or whatever, but, but I remember being very confused because it says, the Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. And then it goes on and talks about how good he is, and I thought, well, if he's my shepherd and if he's that good, why don't I want him? It was so confusing to me. I think I was about 25 when I finally figured that out. But more on that in a minute. Uh, first of all, good morning. Good morning. Uh, I, I have noticed that uh, from time to time when people speak here or share here, they will mention how long they've been a part of the church. Uh, so uh, I would... I'm just going to let the cat out of the bag this morning. I've adopted you guys. Um, so I've been calling uh, Vancouver Vineyard my home now for about the last three months or so. However, I will say this, that I have had friends here and have visited and been connected in different ways with your fellowship for, for really about uh, almost 28 years. Uh, I grew up in a vineyard church in Southern California. And in 1996, my wife Donna, my daughter Jordan's here, my wife and family moved with, uh, with me and we came in to uh, plant a church here in the metro area. And before we moved here, I reached out to one of the local pastors and said, hey, could we get together? Uh, I just wanted to kind of hear a little bit about the climate and the culture and where the existing churches were and what a good community to plant in might be. And so I actually met with Steve Fish at a... Uh, Sherry's restaurant just down the road from here. Steve had a map with him, which won't surprise anybody that knows Steve very well. Uh, but he was, he was so gracious and, and welcoming and friendly and helpful. I had no idea, of course, at that time that he would become a mentor to me, uh, a, a dear, dear friend, 
uh, a partner in ministry. Steve and I have traveled uh, along with others from this church to Nicaragua more times than either of us could count. But in addition to all that, we also became partners in crime. And if you would put that, yeah, there's a, you may not be able to see very well. That's a picture I took from the pastor's seat. That's Steve explaining to a police officer uh, in Nicaragua. The man had said he, he had uh, made an infraction, which is the word for violation. He had done this violation. And Steve is doing his best sort of naive gringo kind of routine. I, I, I don't know. I don't understand. Uh, being the good friend that I am, I stepped in and I said, Steve, I, I'm pretty sure you did what he's saying you did. <clears throat> he looks over at me like, what is wrong with you? Uh, I had to pay the fine, but I tell you, the entertainment value was worth every penny of it. Uh, so, um, Steve and Lane have been a, a blessing and inspiration to Don and I over the years. Uh, I've watched them and their ministry here. Uh, the, the other thing that, that I want to say is this. Uh, having been around the vineyard for a long time, I've seen a number of transitions from the founding or planting leadership to the next generation of leadership. And if I could be really frank, those don't often go well. But I've seen the transition here to Marshall and Carly, and it has been such a blessing to see the way that this church has responded. Amen. You guys can clap for yourself. Um, the way that's gone, and, and uh, I, I am just thankful. I am really thankful to be here. I am thankful uh, for you and your presence in this community. I know that this community is a better place because of your presence here, and I am just grateful today to be able to be just a, a little bit of a part of, of what God is doing uh, with you all here. So enough of that. Um, Psalm 23. Yeah, I'm a glutton for punishment. So I'm going to attempt this morning to exposit one of the better known texts in the Bible. Um, I'm actually not going to do the whole text. In fact, I'm not even going to do uh, one verse, but just one little phrase. Our title this morning is he restores my soul. So why don't we uh, pray and we'll dig in a little bit. Father, I just thank you again for your presence with us this morning during worship and in this place. Uh, you have promised us that when two or more gather together that you're there and we, we believe that and we know that to be true and we're thankful for this opportunity to be here with you today. I pray you would honor your word this morning. Uh, in your name we pray, amen. All right, he restores my soul. Uh, first, let's, let's introduce the players, okay? There, there are two characters here. Uh, first of all is he. He is the Lord God, who we now know to be Jesus, right? But as David was writing, he's referring to the God of heaven, to Yahweh, to the giver of life, the everlasting, the eternal, the creator uh, of all things, the one who revealed himself to Moses and said, I am who I am. At that time, there was no human entity to look to. Uh, there was no embodiment of God. But for those that would seek him and draw near, he was attainable. Proverbs tells us, I love those who love me, and those who seek me find me. Jeremiah adds, you will seek me and find me when you seek me with all your heart. So I think David could assuredly be counted among those who sought him. Now, 
David understood something that I believe could benefit all of us. And, and that is that you can seek God and find Him when things are going well and when they are not. That you can seek God and find Him when you are filled with joy and hope and faith and in your darkest hour. My, uh, my twin grandkids were born at 23 weeks gestation. So for you math geniuses out there, uh, you heard me right. They were 17 weeks early. And they weighed just over a pound each, and they were in the NICU for 100 days. If you want to go ahead and... Uh, that's a picture of each of them. And then on the left there is uh, one of the babies holding on to my daughter's finger. It gives you a little context of how small they were. And I would, uh, I would visit almost every day. We couldn't get close to them. We were, they were in incubators behind a wall, and, but you could see them. They were at St. Vincent, and I would go visit, and then I would drive home every day, and I would cry all the way home. Um, I had never seen a human that small. For context, uh, we have four kids. Our, our kids, two of them weighed over 10 pounds when they were born. The smallest was 813. So I was used to big honking babies. I had never seen uh, a human being that small before, and they were so frail, uh, tubes and monitors, as you can see, medical machinery that I had no context for or reference for connected to them and I would call out to the Lord. It was for me literally the valley of the shadow of death. I know what that means because for that 100 days, every time my phone would ring, I was afraid to pick it up or even look at who it was because I thought for certain somebody was calling me to tell me that one of the kids had died. Uh, I had a, a lot of doubt and a lot of fear, but I never one time doubted that he was with me. His presence was with me throughout all of that. I should probably follow that story up. Go ahead, there you go. That's Cadence Grays and Jackson Brave today. They're seven years old, and I will say a little sassy at times. Um, so first there's he, the Lord God. Second character is me. He restores my soul. I don't know if you're like me at all. Probably not. When I hear salvation is for everyone, God loves everyone. I believe that for everyone else. Anybody? I, I know God forgives you. I know God loves you. I know that you can never be outside of his reach, but... For me, that's a different story. Anybody think that? David is writing first person here. He restores my soul. And I want to say this to you guys today. That my is you. He restores your soul. I'm pretty sure I'm not alone in thinking this. Uh, there may be one or two of you who at times have thought, you know, yeah, I believe that for them. I mean... For sure, God can, can reach anybody, the worst sinner on the planet. I mean, there may be some axe murderer on death row about to walk, uh, you know, to his, his final hour here, and God can reach 
that person, but not me. Yes, I, I, I have faith God can heal your stage four cancer, but I've been suffering with this cold for about two weeks, and I'm not sure God can do that for me, but he restores my soul. I want you to humor me, and we're going to do something very corny and churchy right now, but I want to say that out loud together, okay? I want to say he restores my soul, and I want you to emphasize the my in that. So on three, ready? One, two, three. He restores my soul. That was a little weak. We have established a cast of characters, uh, he and me. What takes place in the interaction between them? And uh, teaching at Cascade Vineyard over the years, I uh, would at times do something we call break for Greek, where, where I would uh, give the Greek word and a little bit deeper explanation. Of course, here we're looking at the Old Testament, so uh, the original is Hebrew, so this morning we'll break for Hebrew. Uh, there's two words I think would be helpful for us. Uh, the first is restores, and it's kind of a fun word. The Hebrew is shub. It's a fun word to say, shub. And it means simply to bring back or return to its original condition. Uh, you might be able to identify this. Anybody ever been to a, a classic car show or seen a parade where uh, somebody has taken a an old, you know, classic car and restored it all to its original condition. You know, that guy had to go to junkyards and look online and search. Go ahead and throw that photo up there. There's an old 55, I think, or 56 Chevy that this guy found in a barn, and he restored it back to its original condition. It looks exactly the same as it did the day it rolled off the showroom floor. Now, I know a lot of kids today will take their cars, and they put big tires and wheels and chrome stuff and spoilers and do things, make them all souped up. But sometimes us old guys, we want to just restore them back to their original condition. And that's what David is talking about here. He says, the Lord restores my soul. It brings it, he brings it back to the place it once was, to the way God created it to be without the scars and stains of life, without the brokenness that is accumulated just by living. The second word is soul. And the, the Hebrew word for that is nefesh. I think typically when we think of our person, uh, we think of body, mind, and spirit, right? body is the physical part that needs to lose a few pounds, uh, just speaking for myself. Uh, mind is, you know, the, the brain, the, the thought control process center here that we use for thinking. And then our spirit is, of course, that eternal part of us that connects with God. But nefesh is actually the whole enchilada. Nefesh is what makes me, me, and you, you. It's the essence of being alive. It includes our thoughts and our feelings, our desires, our appetites, our fears, our emotions. It's the part of us that feels joy when we see our kids take their first steps. It's the part of us that, that feels uh, hurt when we have a broken relationship. It includes our passion, our breath, our very life. Everything that's in us that makes us who we are is our soul 
and he, the Lord God in heaven, restores, puts back to its original condition, my pronouns, me, myself, and I, soul, my very essence. He restores my soul. Our, our author, David, had a soul that needed to be restored. Uh, you know the story. Prophet Samuel shows up at Jesse's house and he says, hey, one of your kids is going to be king. And Jesse brings in the oldest and he's big and tall and handsome and he's got a six pack and Samuel says, that's not the guy. And he brings in the other boys and he lines them up one after another and uh, goes down the line and he says, nope, 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 that's not him, that's not him, that, that's not him, that's not the guy. That's not him. And he gets to the end of the line, and Samuel is a little confused because he knows the Lord told him to go there, that the next king would be there, and he's not there. And he says to Jesse, hey, wait a minute. Do you have any other boys? Uh, and Jesse says, oh, well, yeah, there's the kid. He, he, he's outside with the sheep. He didn't even bring David in. David was overlooked and neglected by his father. Meanwhile, back at the ranch, King Saul is distressed. He's overwhelmed and plagued by an evil spirit. The only thing that can calm his heart is music, and he needs a good player. He needs somebody to play the harp. And they, they say, hey, we know a guy. They send for David, and David comes, and this, over spirit, this evil spirit overwhelms Saul, and he becomes agitated, and David plays the harp, and the peace of God rests on him. And then there's the whole, that Goliath thing. Oh, big, bad, and ugly. He, uh, he keeps calling out Saul and his guys. And they're scared stiff. Hell no, we won't go. I mean, you know, I think about it. I go, it's one guy, okay? Look, he's big, but just rat pack him. He's got to go down. Can I give you a, a little lesson in spiritual warfare today? Here. Never let the enemy define the rules. Goliath says, send out a man. He wants to isolate people. He wants to humiliate people. He wants to separate them. And the immoral words of Phil Strout were better together. If you want to go fast, go alone. But if you want to go far, go together. If you want to take down a giant, I'm just saying... David shows up with lunch. So who's that dude? Saul gives him his armor. It doesn't fit. So David goes it on his own. Right between the eyes. Of course, David gets all kind of praise for that. And that only ticks Saul off further and David does everything he can to serve Saul and to be faithful and to care for him. But Saul, like so many leaders, is concerned about his position and he's envious and he's jealous and he tries again and again to kill David. Ultimately, Saul dies a tragic death and finally David becomes king. And things are going okay for him for a little while. You know, David is settling in. He's kind of going, you know, I like this king thing. This is working for me. One day he's up on the roof sunbathing and he looks over next door. 
Oh, wait a minute. Who is that hottie? Has a little fling with the neighbor. She gets pregnant. David tries to cover his tracks, and he develops this elaborate plot, and that doesn't work, so what does he do? He has the guy killed. He restores my soul. I tell you, if there was uh, ever a broken soul, it was David. He was a broken person. He'd been overlooked and neglected, abused. He'd been sinned against, and he was now full of sin in his own right. I, I heard a, a wise person say one time, if you step off a curb and get hit by a truck, it doesn't matter if the light was red or green. The pain is the same. The meaning is simply this, that sin hurts. Sin hurts. Being sinned against hurts, and entering into sin on our own behalf hurts. The effects are the same. They both tear at the fragile fabric of our relationship with God, and therefore at the fabric of our relationship with others, and the pain is the same. It all hurts. Can I tell you a little secret? Don't tell anybody I let on to this. But here's the thing. Life is hard. In the best case scenario, if you get through unscathed or by any neglect or abuse, if you have healthy relationships, a home, a car that works, and enough money to take care of everything you need, it's still hard. But the truth is, none of us really live there. For most of us, there is some sort of abuse or neglect in our background. There is a trail of broken relationships, and let's be honest, we never ever have enough money. So let me ask you this question, what troubles your soul today? Maybe you have been sinned against, you've felt the sting of being uh, overlooked or neglected, picked last for the soccer team. Maybe you've known the darkness of abuse or betrayal. Maybe you've sinned. Maybe you have done things that you are deeply ashamed of and you've asked for forgiveness and others have forgiven you, but you just can't seem to shake that. David's declaration is definitive. You are with me. You're not far off. You do comfort me. You do care for me. You do see me and you know me. And yes, you even feel my pain. Do you know that when you go through pain, the Lord is right there going through that pain with you, feeling everything you feel? He restores my soul. And that is universal, it's all-inclusive, that is, there are no re restrictions, no reservations required. It's not a question, it's a declaration of truth. He restores my soul.